Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you for this evening. God, we thank you for how you're beginning to cool the evening. And Lord, we, we see you in all of it. God, I just pray that your spirit will be upon us, Lord, as we go into your word, that it will work on us. Lord, that we will recognize the things in our lives, God, that you desire for us to, to give to you, Lord. Sins that need to be, to be confessed, habits that need to be, Lord, turned for you. God, helps us be humble to receive this, that we may glorify you more. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. And be with us this evening. Amen. Amen. Don't know if you've ever heard the saying, don't live your life with feet in two boats. That is a sure way to get wet. You know, and this is what it is like for those that who try to live for the Lord, but at the same time are trying to live for the pleasures of the world. They're trying to walk on two roads, put their feet in two boats. And when we do this, you cannot keep your balance. You cannot stay afloat. Your foundation is shaking. And the end result will be a fall. And as we've seen time and time again during our study of Genesis, we have seen Jacob struggles with this very thing. And where we are right now is we're seeing that God is calling Jacob back to return to Bethel. But on that return, we saw that Jacob chose to settle just 15 miles north in Shechem and at the crossroads of trade where Jacob, even though he knew God wanted him to go just a little bit further, Jacob thought, you know, there might just be a bit more benefit if I hang out here where I might be able to get a little more money, a little more trade. So sure, to kind of try to make up for it, Jacob said, I would build an altar there. But his attempt to live for the world and for the Lord at the same time tore his family apart. Jacob's daughter's daughter fell in love with a man who, yes, raped her. His sons became murderers and thieves, and Jacob became disgraced in the community. I've heard it, the saying several times, which says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. I don't know who it was that came up with that saying, but it is true, true, true. And some of us have been there, haven't we? We've, there have been times where we've drifted from God only to find that it's costing us more than we ever thought possible. And even so, this is what we need to remember. God in His grace wants you back to Himself. He called you to come home to Him and, provide, and He provides a way back. And if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Genesis 35. And we're going to be working through this this evening. This is about the time where Jacob begins his journey back in his walk with the Lord. And we will see that God, his door is open for us as well. So Genesis 35, we're going to piecemeal this this evening uh, verse by verse. And remember, this is the word of the Lord. Starting in verse 1. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So let's pause for a moment. Right there, even though Jacob had messed up so badly, God was not done with Jacob yet. He's still directly working with him. And God in his grace calls him 
back to the place where they first met face to face. And Jacob is listening to the call. Verse 2 and 3. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were, with him, who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob makes plans to go back to Bethel to meet with God. But first, but first, he's choosing to get rid of all the idols that they have collected along the way. Verse 4, So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So apparently what we're seeing here is not only are they getting rid of their idols, but there's even jewelry that seems to have some type of idolatry uh, insinuated with it. And indeed, there are times where the jewelry, in particular earrings, could be forms of magic charms or things that remind them of the other gods whom they're relying upon. You see, throughout this journey, it happened time and time again where they chose not to trust in God and had begun to put their trust in magic charms and other things. And these things were proven to be not helpful whatsoever. So Jacob buried all their idols, all their charms, declaring that they were going to trust in God and trust in God alone. Verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Wait. So they got rid of their idols. They started pursuing the Lord, and they wanted to honor Him more. And what we see here is that already God is beginning to protect them in ways far greater than the idols that they were relying upon initially. The Lord protected them like no other God could. Verses 6 and 7. And Jacob came to Luz, and that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel. In other words, the God of Bethel. And because their God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Then Jacob heard God prompting him. He heard him prompting him. He's saying, God is telling Jacob, come back to me. Finish the task that I had for you to do. And then he got rid of the idols. He returned to the place where he first met God. And this is one of those things that we need to pay attention to. That's one of the things we must do if we want to grow closer in our relationship to the Lord. If we want to find, yes, our way back into the joy of his presence. The first thing we need to do is we need to listen to God, the one who is calling us back to himself. It's true. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of that glory. But God's grace is sufficient. I remember often about how Peter denied Christ three times. There, saw Jesus in the flesh and denied that he even knew him and cursed him. And yet Jesus still restored Peter. And Peter received it. It is the same for us as well. That when we struggle, when we have failed, listen, Jesus is still there with us, waiting Wanting to hear, God, forgive me. God desires for 
you to be with him, yes, forever. I like how Josh McDowell once put it. He said, God is passionate about being in a relationship with you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and rise again. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins so you could be in a relationship with our mighty, holy, and wonderful Father. So now in his grace, God is calling us, yes, return to him. But before we do that like Jacob, we need to get rid of the idols. We need to get rid of the idols. We have to bury anything, destroy anything that we're depending on for security besides the Lord himself and resolve to trust God and God alone. It may mean letting go of a relationship that you know is sinful and is not right. It might mean letting go of some of the stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with God. It might be getting rid of that hobby, maybe even that most beloved hobby that you've had for ages and ages. But if God calls us to get rid of these idols so that we may be focused on Him, then we should be ready to obey. It may mean even giving away money, which if truth be known for many of us, it has become our security. More so than God himself, we must get rid of these idols. Your Heavenly Father knows that the idols of this world could never compare with him and his goodness. So that means we need to be careful not to set ourselves up for disappointment by pursuing anything other than him. Don't rely on those idols. Don't rely on those pieces of wood and metal. Or, or I would say even certain like certificates. Yes, I went to school and I got a certificate at the school I went to. But even that can be an idol if I treat it that way. If I rely on that for my provision more than I do on leading, leaning on the Lord. And so like Jacob, we need to get rid of the idols. We need to return to relying on the Lord. In a way for us, it's, it's our way of, yes, kind of returning back to Bethel like we see with Jacob. Return to that place where we first met with God. So the point being, get rid of the idols. Next, we need to return to the Lord. And what I mean by that is, what I mean by that is, Remember and embrace that relationship. I know I've ministered young men, and after a while we built a, a relationship in discipling them, and they're struggling with some sins, and it seems like they're not letting go. And, and it happened to me, it was, I think it was about seven months ago. I had the chance to have dinner with this one young man, and I thought he was getting ready to move out of the community. And I was like, this is going to be one of my last chances to really get this point across to him. And so I held nothing back. And this was one of those cases where I wasn't so careful with my language, which I usually am. And I said, you need to start taking your walk with God seriously. I see where you take your music seriously. I see where you take your work seriously. I see where you take these ideas of relationships seriously. But you need to take seriously the things of God again. There's, you know, there are holidays that we often celebrate and we forget the history behind them. 
And in this theme of returning back to home where, where we had met the Lord, I want to talk to you about St. Patrick's Day. As a young boy, uh, Patrick lived in a comfortable life near the England coastal city where his father was a deacon in their church. But at the age of 16, his comfortable life unraveled. Irish pirates attacked the village, abducting Patrick and many of the household. And then after arriving in Ireland, Patrick was sold as a slave to a Druid tribal chieftain who forced Patrick to work with a herd of pigs. In the midst of the squalor of pig filth, God began to work on Patrick's heart. And in his confessions, he wrote, I was 16 and knew not the true God. But in a strange land, the Lord opened my unbelieving eyes and I was converted. And then after serving as a slave for six years, Patrick eventually escaped that life, boarded a boat, found his way all the way back home. And at long last, he was back on British soil. He was warmly embraced by his family and his community. In his own mind, Patrick was done with Ireland for good. He had no intention ever to return to the place where he had struggled so much. And Patrick is quoted in saying, It is not in my nature to show divine mercy towards the very ones who enslaved me. And we see a picture of a hardened heart. But then he sensed God prompting something in Patrick's heart. Not as a slave, but he would one day return to Ireland as a preacher of the gospel. And as his family heard about Patrick's desire to go back to Ireland, his family and friends were horrified at his decision. They would stop, try to stop him from going there. He's like, why on earth would you ever want to return to Ireland? Why does this fellow waste himself among dangerous enemies who don't even know God? But Patrick, despite all their objections, used his own money to buy a boat, and he sailed all the way to Ireland in 432. And then he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel in Ireland, watching many people come to Christ. And in summary, Patrick writes this. He says, I am certain of this. I was a dumb stone lying squashed in the mud. And then the mighty and merciful God came, dug me out, and set me on top of the wall. Therefore, I praise him and ought to render him something for his wonderful benefits to me both now and in eternity. And then Patrick answered God's call to go back to the place where he first met God. Patrick obeyed the call. And as a result, God used him. God used him in powerful way to change the world which still to this day recognizes his name. Now, I know some people uh, look at this holiday as something different. I live near Chicago, so I've witnessed it. But I see it as a celebration of the importance of spreading the gospel. So the question then in this light becomes this. How about you? How about you? When it comes to returning to the place where you first met God. There are those that maybe here or out in your life outside of this church that are struggling with that. I will tell you, I leap for joy when someone I was meeting with decided to start coming to church again fairly recently because you almost never see that anymore. And I praise God so much for that. And even as I read through this, I sat and I reflected, when was it when I first had a heart-to-heart with God? Where was I? Where was my struggle? Where 
Did he meet me there in my darkest corners? Where was it that he saved me? And you know something? It was a deep blessing and a deep comfort for me to remember that. That's why also, in addition to returning, we need to also remember God's promises. I know I say this a lot, but we need to remember the promises of God. Remember his character, who he is, what he has said in his word. And then we need to let his word, which never fails, our God who never lies, everything that he utters is truth. And in him is reliable and better than any promise any person can make. Because it comes from God the Father. Remember God's commitment. Remember His faithfulness. Yes, return to the Lord and let God tell you again just how much He is there for us so that we don't get tempted by the world around us. Listen, as things get crazier and crazier around us, it's 2021. I remember when, when we were hitting 2020 and everybody's like, oh, yay, 2021, 2020 is behind us. Everything's going to be good. How foolish we were to say such a thing. A change in the calendar doesn't instantly make anything better. Coming to the Lord makes things better. We're going to have to deal with the fact that the way this world is, it's going to be going this way. And we need to make sure that we remember God's promises. Because if we forget the promises of God, we're going to start to be tempted to return to those idols. So remember the promises of God. Remember his promises. And God helped do that for Jacob. God did this for Jacob to help him remember. Look at verses 9 through 10. He says, God appeared to Jacob again. And when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. Remember Jacob's name. Its meaning was liar, conniver. And we've seen that time and time again with Jacob. And he says, no longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. In other words, Israel means one who strives with God. One who wrestles with God. God reminds Jacob of his new name. His new identity in him. And God reminds Jacob of the nation that, yes, will be coming from him. Verses 11 through 15. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I give to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel, meaning the house of God. So we see Jacob came back to the house of God where God reminded him of his new name and of the nation he would one day become. And this was nothing new to Jacob. God had told him these things before, but Jacob had forgotten them in his pursuit of worldly wealth. 
And now after he's come back and, and he's beginning to go closer with the Lord again, God assures Jacob, I haven't forgotten my promises, even if you have. And that's what God does for us as we grow closer with him. He helps remind us of his promises. He reassures us that he remains committed and he is forever faithful. And we also need to remember that that Yes, we benefit from that, but more importantly, that's also about His glory. That when we remember His promises, when we lean on Him in these times, that is for His glory when we lean on Him. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, God will remain faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. God will never forget you when you are in Him. When you drift, he longs for you to come back to him. So he can then, yes, bless you for the sake of his glory and reassure you of his love and his desire to protect and provide for you that he might also be glorified. That when God shows his blessings for us, that is in turn supposed to be used to bless and praise him. That's the way Jesus describes our heavenly father in the story of the prodigal son. God is like a father who longs to put his arms around you and throw a party in celebration of your return. He has not disowned you. You're still his son and daughter through faith in Christ. And we still have a room in his house. And he wants, yes, to bless you, even as he did Jacob, Christ's grace. So come back to Bethel, so to speak, and be reminded, yes, of his commitment and his faithfulness. For you. God loves you. God loves you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And my hope is in remembering that, that your faith and your trust that you'll be refreshed in remembering this truth of his love. A renewal. Return to the Lord and gain the confidence to know that you can face these hard times in him. Return to the Lord and find the strength, yes, to overcome with him whatever life throws in your way. Because that's what God did even here for Jacob. Let's read verse 8. And Deborah... Rebekah's nurse had died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called the name Alan Bakuth, or the Oak of Weeping. You see, we need to remember that, yes, even though we are growing closer to with the Lord and returning with the Lord, that does not necessarily mean we're going to have lives that have zero sorrow in them whatsoever. Jacob returns back home to Bethel, and yet then he faces the death of a very close family friend. And then Deborah, his mother's nurse, who had come with her through the, through the journey in many years, and she left her home to marry Jacob's father. And no doubt she even helped raise and even cared for Jacob's family as well. Jacob comes back to the Lord, and he still has to face, yes, the sorrow of death. But it is not a sorrow without some assurance or bright hope for the future. Skip down to verse 16 where we see Jacob's faith even in the face of his wife's death. 
uh, verses uh, 16 through 18. Then they journeyed from Bethel, where they were still some distance from Ephrath. Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Ani, the son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, or also son of my strength. And so what we see here is in the midst of sorrow, Jacob is still able to find the strength to rest in God's promises. To trust in God's promises even for his future. Even in the light of death, there is still hope. Death is not the end of the story for the believer in Christ. It is only the beginning. It is only a time of transition for the time where we see all that God has indeed promised. Verses 19 for 20. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. And it is the pillar of Rachel's tomb which is there to this day. It is a pillar of hope. This is a reminder. Bethlehem is the place where our Lord will enter this world as a tiny baby laid in a manger in swaddling cloths. And his mother will name him Jesus because he will save all his people from their sins. Isn't that amazing? That probably a situation that would cause hopelessness that in the Lord, the greatest hope of all is also preparing to come from. Verses 21 through 29. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Adair. While Israel lived in the land, Reuben went on and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of, of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zidopah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob, who were born to him in Padam Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac in Mamre, or Kariath Arba, or Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had so, so yearned. And then the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So after Jacob returned to Bethel, he came back and he had to bury three people. Deborah, his wife Rachel, and his father Isaac. Coming back to God did not exempt him from sorrow, but it gave him hope, it gave him faith to face life's sorrow with a sure and certain hope for future. And we need to let God do the same thing. He is working it. And we need to, yes, come to the Lord then and let Him renew us, refresh us, even in the light of whatever is thrown our way. Please let God do that for you. Yes, it doesn't exempt us from sorrow. It doesn't exempt us from struggle. But remembering the promises of God, remembering that God is with us on the journey and on the struggle, that He is the source of our strength, yes, yes, in God, yes, we will overcome, not by our strength, but by His. So return to Him and let Him remind you of His commitment to you. 
remember, remember his promises. And in so doing, remember the hope and the joy that comes with our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and God, we thank you. Lord, that even though we are, are helpless, God, you are not. That though we struggle, you do not. That though we are unsure of ourselves, God, you are certain of your plan. And God, while we weep and cringe, Lord, you help us with the tears and you guide us through it. Lord, we praise you and thank you that our futures are not ours to make, but are the ones in your hands. And help us, Lord, that in this life, as we go through these struggles, Lord, help us to remember and to trust in you in all these times. God, that yes, we can have that peace that surpasses understanding, the joy and the courage and the strength that comes with a relationship where we are drawing close to you, Lord, in these times. God, I pray. God, I pray that even as more struggles are going to be on the horizons, that these will not be times where we pull away from you, Lord, but these are times where we will draw ever nearer to you. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And be with us, Lord, in this journey. Amen. Amen. God bless, and you all have a good night tonight.